wonderful to see all of you here. We do have uh, one other uh, announcement to add. Um, we are collecting items uh, for a sunshine basket for Brother Mike Bumbleo. Uh, we need these items by March 7th. There's a list of ideas out uh, in the foyer on the bulletin board to your right as you exit. Boy, what a week, huh? Didn't have any snow last year, barely to speak of. And uh, this time, well, we got a week out of school and uh, sliding everywhere, and the snow's still out there despite the sunshine and the rising temperatures. Uh, we all faced our uh, problems, various problems, based on the neighborhoods we live in or what have you. Uh, I had a casualty at my house, the mailbox uh, met its demise. Um, but I got it fixed up, looks real good, I might leave it that way. Another thing that I faced uh, this week that you might have as well, if your car isn't comfortably tucked into a garage, are the frozen windshields. You know, whenever the first thing to come is ice and it collects, collects on those windshields, doesn't it? Uh, frozen, absolutely solid, several inches thick. Uh, no hammer is going to take it out or you're going to take your windshield out, so don't do that. But the windshield wipers uh, on my truck were frozen, absolutely solid. Uh, my dad used to take uh, an old bathroom rug and throw it over his windshield to keep the frost off. Uh, he would leave early in the morning, didn't want to scrape it, he'd throw that off. Well, I don't even think that method would have worked this time due to the rain uh, soaking and, and freezing everything. The very thing I needed to travel and get out on the roads, because you wouldn't dare go out without your windshield wipers, stuff flying everywhere with the salt and the moisture and so forth. But the very thing I needed to travel, I couldn't use because it was frozen solid. Scripture often mentions a hard heart, a solid heart, a heart that is immovable, a heart that Scripture cannot reach, a heart that is full of doubt and jealousy, a heart that keeps you from listening to the wisdom found in the Old Testament to the joyous revelations that we read of in the New Testament about how to live in this new age. A hard heart keeps Jesus from working in your life. We're going to look at what a hard heart is this morning. A hard heart is mentioned several times in Scripture. It is because of a hard heart that the disciples didn't believe those who had seen Jesus in Mark chapter 16. And Jesus approaches them and notices... Through His omnipotence, He sees their hard heart. The Gentiles in Ephesians 4 were not with God because of their ignorance and their hardness of heart. The Pharisees wanted to see Jesus fail because of their hard hearts in Mark chapter 3. In Mark 8, Jesus accused the disciples of having hard hearts before He fed the 4,000. Where will we get enough food for these people? And they did not believe that Jesus could feed them because of their hard hearts. We have hard hearts today when we don't allow the wisdom of God to work on us. A hard heart means a lack of spirituality, a lack of concern for your fellow man, both physically and especially spiritually in these cases. And a hard heart means a lack of faithfulness in serving the true and living God. A failure of being the new creature that all Christians are called to be. So how do we get a hard heart? When we know what leads to a hard heart, 
we can take measures to avoid it, right? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. The Hebrew writer says this, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. As is the case with the letters in the New Testament, the writer is, is trying to convey some sort of message for the people to be careful of, whether it's sinful people in the building or whether it's a way to go down a bad path resulting in a hard heart. And he tells them, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. What should we do? He says, Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday. Encourage one another today. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a picture, this image of a hard heart is a picture of what sin does if undetected, unexposed, and unforsaken. The process of heart hardening, which is what we're going to look at, is a process of one of getting a hard heart. The interesting thing is it begins a long time before the hardness actually becomes obvious. This is a very slow process. So if you're able to see that it has happened or that it is happening to you, hopefully you can make changes. Remember Little House on the Prairie? Love that show. Mary, remember Mary, the oldest sister? She slowly starts to lose her vision. And in the episode where she finally gets glasses, she doesn't even realize that her vision is quite as bad as it is. And the optometrist tells her, well, it's because it happens so slowly. See, I grew up about second grade. I needed glasses. And I had to be told, you know, you don't see very well. Somebody, a lot of times when you have poor vision, someone actually has to bring it to your attention. It's because it is such a slow process. And Mary in the, in the little house on the prairie, whenever she finally goes blind, that was a slow process. And a hardening of the heart, it is a slow process that we're going to look at in a very detailed way today. So what's the first step to a hard heart? The first step is letting sin in. What is the warning in Hebrews chapter 3? Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil heart. By letting sin into our lives, that is the first step in having a hard heart. And the Hebrew writer, I believe was Paul, the Hebrew writer here is giving a warning. Take care that you don't let sin into your heart. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36. We hear a lot of the new heart, the new creature in the New Testament, but this was also taught throughout the Old Testament. We hear about it in the New Testament. It's also taught in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36. In verses 22 and 23, God says to the Israelites that He is going to restore His name that they have profaned. We've been studying in the book of Jeremiah on Sunday morning about how you know God is done with the Israelites. He's going to put them into bondage. Someone's going to take them over. They will be suffering because of their unfaithfulness. 
Well, here's an example in the Old Testament about a time when God said, I'm going to restore you because you have profaned my name. God's going to try to bring glory back. And hopefully, you know how you, after you take a shower, you kind of feel better? Hopefully that's what is going to work here with the Israelites. I'm going to restore you. You're going to seem better. I'm going to renew you because of my name that you have profaned. That way the other nations will see that I am the Lord your God. Verse 26, let's look there of Ezekiel 36. It says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone. I will remove the hard heart, the hard heart that doesn't listen, the hard heart that wants to do what it wants to do, that jealous heart, the heart that won't be moved. I'm going to remove that hard heart. I'm going to give you a new one from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So, God is trying to restore the children of Israel, give them a new heart, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh, one that that can be made into something new, made into something better. You are a Christian and have been given a new heart, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. And we read that sin itself can control you. When you let sin in, what you're doing is you're letting things in that want to take over. Things that Scripture repeatedly warns against, sins of the flesh, sins of omission, whenever you let those sins in, it's going to take over. Because Satan wants control of you. He's not only knocking at the door, he's a lot of times banging on the door. And he's going to get in one way or another. And when we let that sin in, we let it control us. But 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us the love of Christ controls us. And that's what we need to be mindful of. But if you let sin in, Christ can't control you. Why? Because you've got this other stuff ruling in your life. Well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do both. I'll just go, go both ways here. You can't do that. You can't sit on the fence. You can't straddle the fence. You can't be on both sides. God doesn't want that. Satan does. You might want that so that you can have your cake and eat it too. But God says, I want Christ to control you. But if you let sin in, it will begin controlling you. A lot of times, sin controls us, and we don't even know it. I want you to keep that process in mind, that this process is a very slow one. So you might let that little bit in, and you don't notice it, just like if your vision is going bad or your hearing. So you're going to let a little bit in and let a little bit in, and the little you let in is not going to hurt quite as much. But that's the thing about sin. Sin should hurt our hearts controlled by Christ. We should be convicted when we see sin in the world. When we experience it, that should hurt our hearts. That should hurt our minds because someone is lost. Because someone is not faithful to Christ. And whenever we see that sin, it should hurt a little bit. Whenever we are around it a lot, perhaps it doesn't bother you all that much. That's why you've got to let Christ control you. Maybe you don't have the option of leaving a sin. Maybe it's because of someone else in the house that's living in a way that you know God is against. And maybe that sin doesn't bother you quite as much or even at all. Well, it should. 
because Christ should be controlling our hearts. Our consciences should hurt because we've let down our family, our faithful Christian friends, and our God. If you are controlled by Christ, sin that you witness or that you experience should hurt you somehow. It should hurt your conscience. Well, one of two things will happen when we face sin. The first thing that will hopefully happen is that we will admit that we have done wrong and we will seek forgiveness from God based on His mercy and grace. Sin should make us sick. I was told the story once about a gentleman who quit smoking for a long, long time. He'd smoked nearly all of his life and decided to quit and quit for a long, long time. One day he was at work and he thought, oh, you know, I'll just have, I'll just have one. It's been a long time. It's been several years. I think I'll just have one for old time's sake. Everybody he worked with smoked. Picked it up and nearly made him sick because he'd been without it for so long. And that's what sin should be like. It should make us sick when we turn away from it. It should make us sick when we get away from it. Whatever the sin might be, we should not want it to control us. We should want Christ to control us. And if Christ is controlling you, then when you witness or experience that sin, it should hurt you. The other thing that we might do, though, when we engage in sin or see sin, but especially engage in it in ourselves, what we might do is build some sort of self-atonement, some sort of system that justifies our, act, or our right to commit that act. And when you do this, you are making yourself feel good about what God says is not good. That's how that works. So when you face sin... You either repent of it because it hurts you, or you do something that, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad at all. But what you're doing is you are participating in your own spiritual blindness. And the sin is slowly starting to creep in. The Christian who loses his temper, for instance, will tell himself he is speaking like one of the prophets of old, justifying his actions. The husband and wife who gossip to their Christian friends, are simply giving a detailed prayer request. The husband and wife, the person rather, who does not give as he should, says he is being a good steward of his money. You are swindling yourself out of spiritual growth when you do this, and you are blind to your own blindness. Spiritual blindness is something that's very difficult to see, and it is a result of letting sin in, and this hardening of your heart slowly over time. So accepting and approving of sin in your life is the first step to a hard heart. The next step of a hard heart is unbelief. Hebrews 3 and verse 12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, our first point, an unbelieving heart. Since we have justified our sin, we now rest on our own reason. It's okay if I committed that sin. I'm not even sure it's much of a sin anyway. I think I'll be all right. And that is when the unbelief starts to creep in. When we rest on our own reason, we see no need for God in our lives. We can now live however we wish, rather than as how God wishes. You don't believe in God's power to save, or in heaven, or a hell, and that unbelief continues to grow. 
Sure, you might believe in God, but do you really, really believe in Him? Or are you simply justifying your way of life? As we justify our sins, we are acting on pride and rebellion, not faithfulness. And this is the result of an unbelieving heart. What has our country done but the same thing? We have slowly left our church buildings for the comforts of our home or for the sports that are played on Sundays. These things that remove us from a holy day of worship to a leisure day of self-righteous justification. This is called unbelief. Let's look at Acts chapter 7 and see what this has to tell us. If you want to not have a hard heart, you should be recognizing the fact that you have sin in your life that you need to get rid of. And you need to also acknowledge how that sin that you've led in is the result of unbelief. This happens here in Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, someone who wants to sin, someone who justifies it, someone who begins a pattern of unbelief is doing this very thing. They are stiff-necked. They are unbelieving. They are resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Every generation hopes that they raise the next generation that does better than them. And in a lot of ways, they may do worse, particularly as it relates to spiritual things. Here, Stephen is teaching the Jews. He is trying to teach them about this new order, this new life that Christ has brought about, and they don't really want any part of it at all. Which one of the prophets, verse 52, did your fathers not persecute the prophets that were from God? Jesus came from God, and he's down here, He was down here with us before He ascended into heaven. You're a stiff-necked people. Another way of saying you are a hard-hearted people. You're not listening to those who are trying to warn you about your life. And he tells them, your fathers did this. Didn't they persecute the prophets? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You see, the people who crucified Jesus, who wanted him dead, Stephen is talking to them right now. Stephen is telling them, you have become the very murderers that you are sworn to convert, that you're supposed to be reaching out to. You have become those murderers. You have become those betrayers to our Lord and Savior. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. How many of us this morning are continuing to sin even though we gave our life to God some time ago? How many of us are sowing that sin for unbelief to take hold because we are stiff-necked people. These people hated those who told them the truth, and this actually resulted in the death of Stephen a few verses later. You see, your unbelieving heart gives room for sin to operate. Nature abhors a vacuum. It hates a vacuum, and that's what happens inside of your heart. If you don't have God resting there, other things are going to move in, and it's not going to be along the lines of a godly life. And when your unbelieving heart does this, we, you aren't confessing, you aren't repenting, you aren't acting like a transformed person, a person that has that malleable heart, but rather you are acting like the world which does not believe in the all-powerful God, the redeeming grace of Christ, 
or the life-changing effects of the Holy Spirit. You're living just like everyone else because of your unbelieving heart. Sin entering your heart, the evil heart, results in an unbelieving heart, which brings us to our next step, the falling away. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12 finishes, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. This is a slow, slow process of drifting away. If you've ever been on the water with a canoe or a boat, you'll be sitting there on the bank and you'll look up. I had a canoe there, now it's way down there. I've been on the water with enough of you, you've experienced that with me. If you don't have that canoe all the way up on the bank, it's going to slowly drift away and it'll be down the river before you even know it. It is a slow, slow process, this falling away. As we let evil in, we justify it. We begin our progression through unbelief with self-justifying behavior. And then finally, the last state that we come to is a falling away. Many are drifting further because they haven't made church assembly as necessary as they once did. Whether they feel out of necessity to worship from home or worship here with us, it has slowly caused them to fall away. We blame it on COVID, blame it on the pandemic, and certainly there are reasons for many having to have done this, but I'm afraid that many, and I hope I'm wrong, but I'm afraid that many have slowly drifted away over these last 11 or 12 months just because of the habit of not coming and attending. Because sin is very deceitful. And it'll tell you you're okay. It'll tell you that action is okay, whatever it might be. But sin, in its very nature, is deceitful. It promises a lot, but it doesn't deliver what God can. If you are living a life of sin, if you do not commit to Christ and follow Him, I want to tell you, your, your life's not going to be what it can be if you are living faithfully according to the will of God. Sin tells you you can The world tells you you can. And whenever I look at people who live that way, all I see is pain and anguish rather than a godly person. Sin makes you believe things not from God. People will look at the internet, they'll look at what they see on social media, and they'll believe that. Why? Because they've heard it so many times. What have they not heard enough of? They've not heard enough of this, whether by choice or by chance. And so they are simply resting on the sin they've let in, the unbelief that continues, which results in a falling away of our faithful Christians, or results in a further falling of those people who maybe have never even come to Christ. And sin is deceitful. It tells you that you don't really need to commit to Christ at all. The world minimizes His saving grace. The world minimizes a home in eternity. The world negates or even you know, doesn't acknowledge at all the fact that some will be in torments in hell someday because of how they lived, because they were not obedient to God. Spiritual blindness is now created. Once you let all of this stuff take place, it creates a hard heart 
But more than that, it also creates a spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness, you see, is not like physical blindness. Spiritually blind people think that they see well, but when you're physically blind, guess what? You know you're blind, don't you? I have a young lady at my school, great student. She's physically blind, and she knows it. Spiritually blind people don't know it. They are blind to their own blindness, and so they walk around with a delusional view of themselves. The sin is accepted, the level of unbelief is accepted, and the slow falling away from their Christian life is not even noticed. One day when they need their Christian friends, one day when they need people to be around, when they need Christ to hold and be with them, they'll look up and we'll be way far away. And we, we, we didn't move, right? If you're a faithful Christian, you didn't move, but so often those people slowly drift away from the body of Christ that they look up and they can't tell where they are. Pray that those who are gone, pray that those who are lost and who have left long before maybe even the pandemic, that they will want to return. Or maybe you need to recognize your own spiritual blindness and ask yourself, am I as strong as I need to be? Am I where I need to be spiritually? If not, you need to think about making a change this morning. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He was critiquing them and He referred to them as blind guides. In other words, these, these men who were authorities on Scripture apparently were leading people, but they were blind. We can be blind today as well. But only you can recognize it. Don't be blind to your own, own blindness. And the way this looks, and what's that look like, Dale? Well, you know, we have no issues with pointing out the sins of others, do we? We see their sin. We see where they go wrong. We're able to look and pinpoint it out with a tremendous laser accuracy. But to look at our own sin, a lot of times our hard heart and our spiritual blindness keeps us from seeing. Because we've let sin in. Because we have an unbelieving heart. Because we're falling away. So whenever you do that, it's difficult for you to see your own sin. How did you hurt that person with your words? How does your behavior affect others? Be honest. A lot of times we blame somebody else. Oh, it was their fault that I did that. That is a spiritually blind person. And there are none so blind who will not see. And I hope this morning has opened your eyes. Are you in this building now living a lie? Everyone thinks you're committed and you're here, so you're, you're, you're committed certainly to a degree. But if you've not been baptized or if you're living differently outside of these walls, you are not a committed Christian, but rather you are a committed attendee. Now that's, that's how you get started, right? You start coming, but then there's got to be some growth, not a hardening of the heart so you can slip back out the door, not a spiritual blindness, but something that says, hey, I want to be closer to God. Hebrews 3.13 says for us to encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Please don't let your hard heart take over and blind you even further. Take off those blinders, soften that heart, come forward this morning. Let us pray for you that your sins might be forgiven, or if you're not a Christian, 
Come forward and let us baptize you so that you might be added to the body of Christ as we are instructed in Scripture. Please come forward now as we stand and sing. To have thine affections be